What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into another edition of the Fantasy Football Podcast. Coming at you with uh, my co-host Cody Barwick and the producer Eric Wagner. How are you boys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? I'm just doing chilling good. out here Thanks. in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Where are you at in Arkansas? Uh, like an hour uh, west of Memphis. I'm like honestly like so, right at the border of Tennessee, Missouri, and Arkansas, basically. So lots of interesting no. stuff going on around there. I imagine. So oh no yeah, cornfields the best. Of them. They got the <laughs> best cornfields out here. Nice, the very nice. best. And good hotel Wi-Fi. So thank God yeah, for the, that. Yeah, uh, had some technical difficulties, but we're here and we're ready to rock. Oh, you guys coming at you on a at 10:30 p.m. on a Tuesday night. We're grinding for the boys. Uh, I didn't have too much going on this weekend. I've had a couple busy weekends uh, before this one, so it was kind of nice to just take it easy. Uh, had a went out one night on Saturday, but pretty tame on my end. You guys got anything interesting uh, to talk about as far as your weekends go? I uh, I actually got another great trip in the state of Missouri planned for this weekend. Headed down to Branson, Missouri, with uh, oh. victorious families. So shout yeah. out to good old Branson, Missouri, Thousand <laughs> Hills, whatever place with the never actually saying. been to Branson, Missouri. I think I've gone as a kid. I've never gone as an adult. So Victoria has all these like high hopes of all these things she used to do on all her family trips that we have to go do for the next four days. So is that like uh, a lake or something? No, it's, it's like a it's like a tourist town in Missouri. I think it's it's kind of more designed for old people or uh, families. I think like I think that's like their target audiences. Uh, but Victoria's family's gone down there a bunch as they were growing up, so we are going down there all together this weekend. Should be a good time. Playing golf Thursday down there, so anytime you can squeeze some golf in on the trip, you got to appreciate it. Oh, yeah. As much as I hate to break up the advertising for Branson, Missouri, uh, we are going to uh, jump into the show here real quick. Uh, we're going to get to the hot takes in a second. Just want to throw out the fact that we're doing a tight ends disagreement show today. Me and Cody have uh, done our rankings for each position group. We are going through each of them and, uh, you know, choosing some guys that we have may have some disagreements on and both giving our side of uh, the disagreement. And then Eric is going to rule one way or another for each of our arguments. But before we jump into the news and notes, Cody, what is your hot take today? All right. So I'm keeping my hot takes a little easy as we kind of ease into the football season here. So I'm going to go with one that I've been writing for. A couple months now, it's really changed my mind. I don't know what it is about it, but Chipotle is the best lunch spot if you are going to go get your lunch out, especially if you're in any kind of an office setting and you have to like go out to go get food. A Chipotle burrito, there's nothing better than it. I love it. It's, it's fresher than if you go get any kind of you know bagged food or anything like that. It's my favorite. I've been rolling. I, literally every time I go to the office now, I'm getting Chipotle for lunch, and it's it's amazing. So, yeah, like I said, not I super hot I don't know if I go best, but I can agree. It's super convenient, and it's pretty agreeable, I'd say. You know, oh, there's yeah. a lot of ways you can go with it, so I, I can't really argue with that one too heavily. I think I'd give that a, a 6 or 7 out of 10 on the spiciness meter. Uh, Eric? I 100% agree. I think you'll enjoy my hot take uh, of the evening, and that is that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is appropriate to share on a fantasy football podcast, but... Hockey is the best in-game entertainment of any professional sport that you can watch live. Uh, I, I just think that hockey games themselves are super quick, uh, weather-controlled, 
and there's not many stoppages while play is going on. And there's only two breaks, and they come perfectly, you know, right in the middle of the action, so that you can go to the bathroom, refill your drink. I think the just the entire way that hockey is set up is perfect for the in fan experience. Actually, at the game, uh, watching it on TV is a little tough sometimes if you don't really know the game. But uh, going yeah, to a hockey games, my favorite type of sport. It's by far the sport I've been to the most, but I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's my favorite sport, so I'm very biased, but there's nothing quite like say, very hockey biased. live. It's, I mean, I've also I've been to, like, Packers-Bears games and stuff, and, like, those are awesome. But, like, that's more so, like, the game. The stuff that happens in the pauses aren't really that entertaining at football games or basketball games, in my opinion. Although they do some cool stuff at basketball games, too. But, yeah, I'll take the hockey any day of the week. Cody, what's your thoughts there? Um, I don't necessarily disagree. I've been to a few hockey games, uh, probably the least attended sports in my lifetime. I've been to probably a few more NBA games than NHL, but I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, for me, as someone who's not the biggest hockey fan, even when I'm there, I can appreciate how like exciting it is, especially if you throw like a couple of just stupid bets out there. Like I, when we went to the Blues game, I had like no goal in the first X amount mm-hmm. of minutes. I can't remember what it was. And you just kind of get locked into the action. And like you said, it kind of is just nonstop the entire time. So I appreciate it. Um, I would probably – we went to a Mizzou college basketball game. And I think if you went to like a like an insane college basketball game, like a UNC Duke, I think that may be like my favorite you know experience as a fan if I could go to – College them. sports but, are different. Yeah, I think that is kind of bringing it different. Because I wouldn't put the NBA on the same level. I've been to a few other NBA games. And if the game's not entertaining, like this – some of the stuff they do can be, but it's not the most you know entertaining out there. So actual yeah. in-game experience, yeah, I think hockey's up there for sure. I think the other thing I like about hockey is that there's never really a bad seat. You know, I've sat in the the, the way yeah. back nosebleeds of hockey games, and you still have a good view of the ice for the most part. You know, NFL games, I feel like there are some bad seats in a lot of houses because you know you're dealing yeah. with 40, 45,000 people in attendance. I think that's just kind of bound to happen. But yeah. definitely a big also, fan a- of. Ahead, I just want to throw it out there on the fantasy football podcast, but go 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 check out hockey if you've never done it before. I was someone who never really got into it as a kid. My family doesn't really watch it, and I kind of only really watch it whenever I'm around you guys. But I will say it is entertaining if you're if you can get into it if you have a hometown team or something like that to root for. I give hockey a try. It's a lot more entertaining than it gets credit for, and uh, I mean it should be up there competing with some of the other sports that are you know outdoing it numbers wise and such. Yeah, the barrier to entry to hockey is just understanding the rules and such. I think that's kind of the big big hurdle. But definitely give it a shot. Uh, it is a very entertaining sport. As me and Eric would definitely agree, uh, hosts of the Fantasy Hockey Podcast, go and check that out as well. Uh, let's jump into the news and notes here real quick. Uh, we just have a few things to get to before we jump into the uh, tight end part of the show. I wanted to lead off with this uh, nugget here from uh, our boy over in Kansas City. I don't know where the worryometer is for you Chiefs fans, but Chris Jones is not reporting to camp over a contract dispute right now. I think most people in the industry expect this gets done, so uh, I don't think there is much worry on the uh, the minds of the Kansas City Chiefs fans at the moment. But if this drags on at all in the next couple of weeks, I think uh, that will change very quickly. But I think we expect this gets done. Cody, do you agree? Yeah, like I, like I was talking about before we hopped on here, I see this very similar to the Nick Bosa situation in San Francisco. So I just imagine that they get it done. And uh, if I was Chris Jones, I'd hold out too. You've been the stalwart of that defense for many years now. So 
And you you deserve to be paid like it if you know they're going to continue to contend for Super Bowls. So I mean, and if they if the Chiefs don't want to, I mean, like they did with Tyreek, you know, trade him and let him get his worth. So don't don't blame him at all. Yeah, well, not not a, not a huge story right now, but it is just something to keep an eye on until uh, something gets resolved there. Justin Herbert, in the meantime, did get paid. This actually just popped across my timeline a very short while before we began this pod. He signed a five-year extension that makes him the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL on a year-to-year basis. I saw something uh, earlier that said Jalen Hurts lasted as the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history for about 10 days, got taken over by <laughs> Lamar Jackson, and then Lamar Jackson lasted about 90 days and got tucken, taken over by Justin Herbert. I expect Justin Herbert to last for less time than Jalen Hurts did. Joe Burrow will sign a new five-year extension and beat him. I believe that's why Joe Burrow's extension has waited uh, this long because he probably wants to set the market being the best of that four. Uh, you know, I, I think most people in the industry would agree that he is the uh, the top QB of those four. So uh, good for Justin Herbert, good for Chargers fans, but interesting to see this quarterback market continue to rise that Patrick Mahomes deal is going to look better and better as time goes on unfortunate to say uh do you have any thoughts on that I think everybody expected this yeah it 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 will look good in a couple years yeah I mean as long as he continues to be okay with that deal because same thing with Chris Jones him at any point could just be like yeah I actually want to go on Aaron Rodgers and be the highest paid guy in the league so if he if he he wants to that's a Exactly. So as long as he keeps this mindset he has now, that contract looks beautiful. Very happy with it. Saquon Barkley and more fantasy relevant news. He agreed to a restructured one-year deal. Basically, uh, he, they, the Giants gave him a $2 million signing bonus and uh, attached some incentives on top of his one-year uh, one-year deal. So uh, he is going to be playing this year for the Giants, already in the building for them. All Saquon o- owners can breathe easy, and you can draft him as early as you would uh, you know, before this whole mess got sorted out. So he will be with the Giants, and he will play this year. Uh, good for Saquon to get some extra money out of the situation, but I think even better for the Giants that they did not have to lock him up, and they still uh, you know, will have him in the building this year. Nick, I want I maybe you have seen something about this that makes sense. What is I mean, I know there's some some there are some incentives so it can be worth more, but for a guy who is just so adamant on getting a long-term deal that seemed to be the big thing, what is this one-year contract? Like what like do you feel like it means anything long-term for running backs anything like that? I just for all the fuss that we heard for the past week since we last recorded, I'm surprised. I was very shocked by the news of him just signing a one-year, eleven million dollar deal. Yeah, I was definitely surprised as well. But I think it uh, comes down to Saquon probably seeing the writing on the wall to a degree. Uh, he saw how Le'Veon Bell's situation played out. It did not work out for him in the end. Even Le'Veon at this point admits he made a mistake by holding out that year. So he didn't really have any options. Unfortunately, this is the CBA the players' union signed. It's been working out for a lot of the position groups, but running backs have just been kind of left in the dust uh, for a lot of reasons that aren't, you know, specific to the position. It's not, you know, these owners are maybe greedy in a general sense, but they are not targeting running backs specifically. It's just the nature of the sport. So until their rookie contracts get changed or some sort of wording into the CBA is, you know, restructured, I think running backs are just going to have to deal with this reality and make their money while they can. I think Saquon probably just wanted to squeeze a couple extra million. Did get a $2 million signing bonus, so he sees some money up front. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I was surprised it got resolved this quickly and, you know, without much fanfare, I feel like. Uh, but 
good for the Giants, and hopefully Saquon stays healthy and gets himself a decent contract uh, next year. And the Giants can franchise him again, but it gets real expensive if they uh, if they want to do that again. So I, I feel like you he see, will get a uh, contract. I think they called over a dozen teams trying to see if they could trade Saquon on Saquon's request once they franchise tagged him, and they were unable to make any trades. So, yeah, I mean, granted, if you're trading for him, you're basically committing to giving him the contract that he wants. Yeah, otherwise, that's the not problem. Trade for him, so there, exactly. it makes sense to we'll just wait and maybe pick him up in free agency next year if he's still healthy and, and good. Does um, he become but, a free agent next year? Or can do the uh, they can franchise can get, him again? Okay. But the, the price tag goes up. So every time you franchise somebody, I don't know the specifics on it, but it, it'll be about a 20% increase on his salary. And at that point, you're paying a running back, okay. you know, 13, 14 million. And so at that point, they might just decide yeah. to give him a, say, two year deal for 25 million or something like that instead of paying him the extra money. Yeah. But we'll see what happens with him. Melvin Gordon also uh, signed a contract this week, a very heavily incentive laden deal with the Ravens. I don't really think this means much. I guess just, uh, again, something to keep an eye on. I think this was more so because J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards are starting the uh, starting camp on the pup. Neither one of them, I don't think, are dealing with serious injuries. It is a little concerning to see them on the PUP to start the training camp, but as I'll get to in a minute, we have a section of training camp injuries here. Uh, the PUP does not mean nearly uh, what it does once the regular season begins. So not a huge concern here if you're a J.K. Dobbins or a Gus Edwards owner in Dynasty or you have drafted some J.K. Dobbins this offseason. I, I don't think this means much. They just kind of needed a, a healthy body in the room, and Melvin Gordon fits the bill. Uh, I think if, if everybody's healthy, he's not much of a factor. What do you think, Cody? 100%. This means absolutely nothing for Melvin Gordon. So if anything, as long as, long as J.K. Dobbins is healthy, he's really the only guy in that backfield I'm interested in. And then if something happens to him and Gus Edwards is healthy, I'm taking Gus Edwards over Melvin Gordon all day. So oh, yeah. for me, even no, no in question. Dynasty, like if you if you drop Melvin Gordon after your rookie draft or anything, like let someone else waste a roster spot on him. He's not worth it. Agreed. Let's go ahead and jump into the rest of those training camp injuries that we uh, that have happened in the first couple days uh, in between our last pod and now. I think uh, the the largest one in terms of severity uh, was Naheem Hines. He is going to be out for the year. That is an off-field injury while riding a jet ski. Sounds like a really nasty situation. Another Jesus rider Christ. ran into him uh, while he was on his jet ski. He's going to require surgery. Uh, looks like he's going to be okay uh, from just a you know a personal standpoint, uh, but he will be out for the 2023 season. Really sad to see for Naheem Hines. Uh, I think the Bills ended up signing another depth running back to kind of fill his position, but just sad to see for him, I think, more than anything else. Uh, there's not much fantasy impact here, but that was a, a troubling story for sure. Hopefully he's okay. Yep, you said it well. I don't really have much to add. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, uh, again, this is not incredibly fantasy relevant, but a uh, big part of the offseason for the Detroit Lions trying to fix that secondary. He was carted off on the second day of camp. I've read some positive reports on him. Uh, anytime someone leaves with a non-contact injury, especially when it's lower body, you are automatically assuming a ligament has been damaged. I think 90, 95% of the time that's the case, but seems like C.J. Gardner-Johnson might have ama uh, avoided major injury. I don't think we'll know anything until he gets the MRI, though. A lot of times there, you know, there is this sense of optimism after this sort of thing happens, uh, and it doesn't always mean much. Usually non-contact injuries are really bad news, so we'll see if uh, he can make it out uh, for the Detroit Lions at some point this year. But well, could be a hit to their defense, something to keep an eye on. Amari Cooper, 
he left practice with a knee injury. This one's considered pretty minor. I haven't seen much in the way of updates. I've been checking today, but uh, if you're an owner or you're drafting in the next couple days for some reason, just keep an eye on it. I think you should be just fine to go ahead and draft him. This next guy, though, Cody, another Kansas City Chief, makes his way onto the news and notes items, and again, for a not positive reason, Kadarius Toney, he aggravated his, uh, I believe it was the same knee he had a cleanup procedure on at some point this offseason. He had another cleanup procedure after this injury happened. Uh, I just saw that uh, update earlier today. So he's expected to be ready for week one. That's not really what you want to hear uh, two days into training camp. But um, does this just completely tank his draft value for fantasy? Uh, before we jump into that, Eric, do you want to give out our first official fantasy, <laughs> oh, yes, fantasy yes. I totally football nickname <laughs> of the year? Kadarius Noni. Because yes. he has no knees. Too easy. Uh, Wide receiver, right Kansas City Chiefs, Kadarius Noni. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is terrible. I mean, if you're drafting them, I mean, if you're doing best ball or anything like that, I mean, you just you have a lot of hesitant, hesitancy. I mean, all these Chiefs guys are going relatively later in drafts. So, I mean, yeah, like if I was considering drafting a Chief, like now Kadarius Tony's off my board and Sky Moore gets moved up a couple spots for me. So, that, that's about it for me. I mean, Kadarius Tony's still going to get drafted because there's going to be someone in every league that just believes in, you know, the three play highlight plays he made last year. And they're going to take him for no reason. But, yeah, this guy – if you take him, you're going to have to drop him at some point. Kadarius Noni just cannot stay off the injury list, so I, I would not waste a draft pick on him at this point. And that's coming from a guy who's drafted him a few times in best ball, so I've, I've, I've got to kind of bite that bullet as well as my, my Traylon Burks bullet I'm still chewing on. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the time to move off Kadarius has, has come and gone here. Just uh, can't, like you said, cannot stay on the field. Two days into camp, my man. Come on. Uh, this is... This is just uh, it's tough to see for him. He's a really, really uh, high-end talent if he could ever put it together, but he just has not been able to uh, consistently stay healthy in the NFL to any degree. J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, and Brees Hall all start training camp on the pup list. Again, this is not the hugest deal in the world. This is something we probably expected for a couple of these guys, Dobbins and Brees Hall. Jonathan Taylor may have been a bit of a surprise to some, but uh, he was still dealing with some uh, of the ramifications of his ankle injury at the end of the year. Uh, but these guys can come on and off the pup at any time. There is no you know, week-long timeline attached to this like there is once the season starts. I believe it's six weeks if you're on the pup list. So just keep an eye on these guys. But they did start training camp on the pup list, so they are not 100% beginning camp. Do any of these guys concern you more than others, or are we just kind of keeping an eye on these situations? Um, Brees Hall definitely doesn't. I kind of expected it. J.K. Dobbins was a little bit of a surprise, but he's not really high on my draft board anyway. And then, uh, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, I I don't know. I need to do some research on him. I'm just kind of curious at where that offensive line is going to be, where that offense could potentially be. Because, I mean, there's a chance Anthony Richardson just is not an NFL quarterback. That's always a possibility with rookies. And he could have – potentially the worst quarterback in the NFL, you know, running his offense, which could just tank his value in a different way. So we saw what happened with Phillip Rivers and the mosh posh quarterbacks they had last year happen. So not saying that will happen, but I just need to kind of – I don't know how I feel about Jonathan Taylor. I haven't been drafting him at all, but I don't know if I'm missing an opportunity or if I'm dodging a bullet. It's just kind of a gut call at this point. 
Yeah, I'm pretty low on him uh, compared to consensus even before I saw this news about him being on the pup to start camp. Uh, a lot a lot of the reasons you listed are, you know, obviously factoring in, but we'll get into that discussion a little more in depth when we have our running back show. Maybe he makes his way onto the disagreement board, but if not, then when we do our more comprehensive rankings, we will certainly discuss Jonathan Taylor's situation. Javante Williams, the one positive piece of injury news I have, and it's for my Broncos. We love to see it. He is expected to not start training camp on the pup in a very big surprise to many. I don't know if this is really changing my mind on him quite yet. You know, teams kind of have their reasons for starting guys on the pup or not starting them on the pup. So we'll see if Javante Williams is truly, you know, out there 100% doing all the drills and that. Uh, so I want to wait you know, a week, maybe two weeks to see if he gets placed on it, if his knee swells up, something like that. But it's certainly positive development if you have him in Dynasty or you've been drafting him in best ball. That's that's awesome news. I mean, he's like the exact opposite of Brees Hall, who's put on the pub. Brees Hall's a top 36 pick. He's going in the first three rounds. Javante's like a sixth, seventh round guy in most drafts right now. So the fact he's not on the pub and Brees Hall is, to me, is amazing news for him. So... Like I said, if you've drafted him, if you have him in Dynasty, this just kind of gives you a little bit of a of a peace of mind that he should probably be back at some point this season. Yeah, I think not, not, I just mean like at full, like fully, like you sure. should have your full Javante Williams back at some point this season. Coming off these injuries, it's usually not going to be week one. It could be week five, six, seven. But if he's already getting back on the field, he's going to get to that point probably sooner than if he had to stay off the field longer. Is what I was trying just to say. A, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think your point was made there for sure. Uh, just just kind of a disclaimer, so, sort of an example of what I was talking about earlier with the fact that I'm not totally sold on Javante being back here is that Chris Godwin is an example of somebody who had an ACL injury two years ago. He did not start camp on the pub last offseason, uh, but he had a slow start out of the gate, had a hamstring injury that was due in some part to his knee complications to start the year and really just didn't get going until the second half of the year. I think we can expect something similar here with Javante, even if he's healthy all camp. But again, it's better to see him out there than not. And to your Brees Hall point earlier, I think if these trends hold, these two are going to end up round four, round five picks. Brees Hall is probably going to come back a little bit in ADP, and Javante will rise. I think they'll be a lot closer together at the end of the day. Did you have any other training camp notes, injuries that I might have missed, Cody, or are we good to go to the tight end portion of the show? Uh, just, I believe a Denver Bronco got uh, suspended for gambling. So just another yes, he did. Fucking yes, idiot. he did. I just want to throw that uh-huh. out. Not, not necessarily him Thank in you. particular, but just all of them that are in the NFL and break the gambling rules. You guys are fucking idiots. Bet on other sports. Away. You're throwing away opportunities at hundreds of thousands of dollars at almost a bare minimum at that point. So, like, even though none of them have been a lot of big names, I think Jamison Williams and obviously Calvin Ridley are the two biggest, but. It's still just I, – I hate to see it. I hate to see people throw an opportunity away over gambling on stupid shit like the NFL. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is really dumb of these players individually to be taking these risks. I think it is a little hypocritical of the NFL to be leaning so hard into these advertisements with DraftKings and uh, you know all of their fantasy sports partners that they've had and then to be coming down yep. this harsh on players that – are betting well, on other sports and facilities. On your own leagues. No, exactly. No, they're not betting on the NFL, though. They're betting on other leagues while but from team facility, I mean, Yeah, so still, it's easy. It's easy to not do that. Just go home and make your bets there, and you'll be fine. But still, I think the NFL could maybe 
you know, give him a four week suspension. I think your point will be made. And then, you know, a domestic violence suspension gives you four games. Like I, I just, I think yeah, it's a little out of whack with where we are, but anyway, that uh, that's, a that's a point, point. for probably a, a larger just, discussion at some point. I do want to clarify something. Did the Denver Broncos guy not bet on the NFL? I don't know. I'm not positive on the okay. specifics. I just, just know that I think all a, of these. He got sorry, an indefinite go suspension, and their their indefinite suspensions have been people betting on the NFL in particular. He, that I think he may is, well have. I just it was yeah, a bigger just, point in general, not necessarily. It, I 100 percent agree. Yeah, I was just curious, just just in general, just don't do it. Don't bet on the NFL. Don't bet at the facility. Don't throw away your opportunity. No, absolutely not. Uh, totally agree there. Are we ready to jump into the tight end disagreements here, boys? Let's do it. Hold on, actually. Cody, you got a drop it. ready? Yeah. There we go. Hard cut off. Did not update us since right. the last time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of like it. That kind of fits the motif of the song, so it's all good. All right, guys, uh, we have five tight ends for you here that me and Cody have differing opinions on. Again, Eric is going to be the judge uh, for both of our arguments here. We're going to give our side. One of us will be you know, higher on said player. One of us will be lower. And uh, I think you guys know how this works at this point. Let's go ahead and jump into it. The first player we're going to get to is Kyle Pitts, a very divisive uh, pick in fantasy this year, I feel like. Uh, I think this one is a little tough because I don't think Cody's low on him uh, compared to consensus, but I am high on him. So uh, the, the rankings difference was enough, especially uh, you know as early as he is going uh, to to go ahead and include him here. Cody, do you want to start on your defense, or do you want me to start on the affirmative? Okay, so I'm actually I'm glad you threw it back to me because I did want to try and make this point clear. Do you want to explain our what we consider ADP? comes from nfc adp and for those who don't know nick do you want to explain what that website is and maybe how you came upon it because for me last year when you threw it out there it was new to me i started using it after you brought it up but for our audience when we when we are referring to adp we're not referring to fantasy pros or espn or the ballers or anything like that it is nfc adp that we're referring to nick take it away so NFC ADP is basically just a amalgamation of a lot of high stakes leagues. So these drafters are generally going to be sharper than the uh, you know average drafter on ESPN, Yahoo, or whatever big site you know has you know hundreds of thousands of leagues. These are players that have invested uh, a decent amount of money in whatever leagues they're playing in. So not always the case. These people aren't always smarter than the ones that are playing for free in, uh, you know, in free leagues on those sites. But in general, you're going to get people that are more invested, and therefore the ADPs are probably more trustworthy uh, as far as you know who the either the sharps are are heading for uh, in a general sense. I think at this point in the offseason, offseason, it's a little bit important to point out that we're dealing with a lot of best ball drafts in this ADP. So. These may shift to some degree, but I think that the uh, you know the distribution of the actual players themselves is somewhat trustworthy. I just think yeah. you might see the overall ADPs shift somewhat uh, when we move into just redraft season. Uh, but I just like NFC ADP in a general sense for that reason. I think it provides us with a better look at who the fantasy experts are uh, favoring and not favoring uh, opposed to the public. Yep, and if you need to, if you're curious about what ADP is in redraft, check out our 45 days of mock draft series, going all the way till I think August 26th is our draft day for the Fantasy League. I'm just going to call yes. it. So yes, that'll it is. that'll that be is, when that it right. when it culminates. So if 
you uh, need some draft prep, check out those mock drafts as well. One month away tomorrow. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, it's coming up pretty soon, boys. All right, we have to lock our keepers in a week in advance. So get ready, August nineteenth. Got to have your four locked in. All right, right, let's go. You make your make your argument for Kyle Pitts first because I kind of I have a defense uh, set up, so I don't really have a a good argument to start. Beautiful. All right, so uh, it's going to be a lot of numbers. I'm going to try to get through them as uh, as timely a manner as I can and not bore everybody to death here. But Kyle Pitts, he drew a target on 21.7 percent of his routes as a rookie. He raised that to 28.5 percent of his routes as a second year player. Uh, I think it's important to note that. Uh, target percentage on routes run is a good metric to look at when you don't have a huge sample size, which is the case for Kyle Pitts in a 10-game sample last year. Uh, that metric just stabilizes quicker than other metrics like catches, yards, and touchdowns over small sample sizes, so that's why we look at those metrics. He raised his average depth of target from 10.8 to 13.82, which is impressive. I think it's a little too high. We want him to come down a little bit. Basically, average depth of target means how far down the field were you when you got thrown the ball. For it to be that far down the field uh, and have such a high percentage of the targets going his way means that he's getting open and he's getting open quickly and he's getting open deep, which are all, you know, all of those things suggest that he is talented. I guess that is just kind of a long-winded way of saying that. When Kyle Pitts and Drake London shared the field in 2022, they each drew targets at a 30% rate. So this is not something where one of these two guys is going to necessarily emerge as the complete alpha. I think there is not a ton of throws to go around in Atlanta. We know how Arthur Smith likes to run his offense. But if these two can be this level of target hog, we can have some success with both of them this year. All right. And this is kind of my biggest, I think this is my favorite stat when it comes to Kyle Pitts. He had the highest off-target rate in the NFL at 29% in 2022. Uh, on For players that had a minimum of 200 routes, again, we just don't want small sample sizes skewing our, uh, our database here. Uh, 29%, you might not really have context for that stat. You say, okay, is that is that high? Is that low? Is that you know is that normal? It was uh, obviously it was the highest in the NFL, but what does that mean? So I have the next five in the NFL over again over 200 routes in off-target percentage. Nico Collins at 26%. He's a sleeper as well this year. We'll get to him later. Marquise Brown at 23%. Darnell Mooney at 21%. DJ Moore at 21%, and Drake London at 19%. So Drake London was the sixth highest in the NFL at off-target rate. He was at 19%, ladies and gentlemen. Kyle Pitts is at 29%. That's a full 10% higher than the sixth worst off-target rate out of all receivers that had 200 routes in the NFL last year. Real Pretty quick, incredible. means bad throws, right? Essentially, yes. Uncatchable throws. Um, You know, I don't know if throwaways are included in this stat because sometimes they attribute those targets to a player depending on how the throwaway was made. But anyway, uh, so yeah, a very large portion of Kyle Pitts' targets were just completely uncatchable through no fault of his own, essentially, is what this means. And even though he had a bad quarterback last year and will probably again have a bad quarterback this year, we see with Drake London at 19% that Kyle Pitts was probably unlucky to a degree, even that Drake London was not. You know, I think that we can expect that number to come down even with bad quarterback play again is essentially what I'm trying to get at here. All right, and my last stat, this one is also pretty uh, pretty numbers heavy, so just bear with me. The past five years, we have I have a, a group of players that have had all of these all of these uh, stats come true. So okay, so it's past five years, players with 200 plus routes, 28 plus plus. 
excuse me, oh my God, 28% plus target per outrun rate, the thing we talked about earlier, and a 10 plus yard A dot, again, thing we talked about earlier. These are all really good players. That's essentially what I'm going to get at here. 2018 Julio Jones, 2019 and 2022 Devontae Adams, 2019 Mark Andrews, 2021 A.J. Brown, 2022 Tyreek Hill, 2022 Kyle Pitts, and Drake London, actually. So you say, Nick, Drake London didn't have a great year last year. Why would you be throwing uh, a stat out here that says you know, you're comparing this to Kyle Pitts and you're saying he's going to have a good year this year? Well, Drake London finished with 146.6 fantasy points and half PPR, which would have been good for tight end five last year. I see that as Pitts' floor uh, with regression as far as his target uh, off-target rate goes. You know, assuming no injuries, obviously, uh, I think that you know you're you're getting a guy that has the upside of being a top three tight end and has a pretty high floor as well. Barring obviously, you know, last year was just a complete outlier in terms of the targets that went to him. I think that's what happened there. And you know, if I'm taking anybody after Andrews and Kelsey, it's going to be Pitts in the mid rounds, especially where he's going right now. I believe his ADP is in the sixth or something, seventy one point one overall on uh, on. It's around the five six turn. Yeah. yeah, that's that's great value. I don't I don't understand how anybody could take London before Pitts because I don't think there is any difference in their talent. You could argue Pitts is better, honestly, as far as just a pure I, yeah, talent goes. I think he could. And he gets to play tight end. And London is a wide receiver, so I don't understand why London's going higher. But I would take Pitts between those two if you want a piece of this Atlanta offense. Yeah. I, I want to start my rebuttal by saying I do have Kyle Pitts as my tight end five, so I'm not coming at him at a place of I think he's going to be a bust this year. I do think he does have a pretty high upside with a relatively safe floor, but let's kind of talk about what that safe floor is. So even though he did have a 28.5% target share during his year last year, he only had two finishes inside the top 12 tight ends. That is with Marcus Mariota, obviously, so... Let's get into Desmond Ritter a little bit. Yeah, in 10 games, absolutely 20%. So he had a short season, that that's out. all. Three and a half games. So oh, even sorry, though, yeah, you did point uh, that out. My bad, my bad. Nope, you're good. Uh, Desmond Ritter also just does not spark a lot of confidence in me. I'm not going to you know, harp on that. Nick kind of uh, said it, but I do have a stat I want to throw out there. He did average 29 pass attempts per game, which is a decent amount in the NFL. They're, they pass quite a bit to end the season, probably testing them out a little bit. Um, which was over the last four weeks is when he started. He only managed, managed 177 yards per game. These, these stats are similar to guys like Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, and Marcus Mariota, the, the former Falcons quarterback. So that doesn't spark as much confidence, too much confidence in me. And then my final rebuttal point is, you know, whenever I was looking at Kyle Pitts, especially over his rookie year where he played every game and then his second year, the big thing that I think a lot of fantasy people are going to harp on is he's got to have some positive TD regression because he has not scored a lot of touchdowns so far in his career. So I wanted to go take a look and see you know, what he would look like if he had that positive TD regression. So these are all tight ends with 10 or more games who average five or more targets per game, which is about where Kyle, you know, Kyle Pitts is a little bit higher. He was a little over six, but I wanted to get a little bit of a sample size. Um, even if you saw that positive TV regression and got to the even, you know, the median point, so a lot, decent amount higher than he's been doing, he's around guys like David Njoku, Evan Ingram, and Dallas Goddard, who Goddard goes around them, but all three of those guys do go at least after Kyle Pitts and drafts currently. So, again, 
I'm not out here saying he's going to be a bust. I just think there's a little bit more concern with Kyle Pitts than a couple of the other guys we're going to highlight on this list later on, which is why I have him a couple spots lower. May I rebuttal very quickly? Very quick point. Sure. I just want to say that the, the Desmond Ritter point you made earlier is very fair. Not a great quarterback. Most likely won't be even an average quarterback in the NFL this season. But the yardage totals you gave were without Kyle Pitts. So Desmond Ritter did not play any games with Kyle Pitts. So I think a lack of weapons might have played into that to some degree. That's all. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I don't have Eric? any other rebuttal. Nick or Eric, hold on. Sorry, I forgot I'm playing producer. We need to give oh, you that come one. On, come on, Cody. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I think that I am going to go with Cody on this one. I do Kyle Pitts, but I just, I don't like, I don't think that Atlanta is going to throw the ball enough. And then I really don't like the quarterback play. I took Kyle Pitts last year and he's the reason I changed one of my team names to smelly armpits. So I just got a sour taste in my mouth from him. So who would your third tight end be, Eric? I'm just curious. Do you, I mean, it's, it's, it's Kelsey and Andrews. I would probably take... Mark Andrews. Andrews is he second. He would be second. Oh, yeah. No, I'm fucking Goddard then, maybe. I don't know. Okay. I actually have Goddard four, so I, I can't be that upset about that. We're going to get to him later. So I just, yep. just remember that when you, uh, <laughs> when you remember your love of Dallas Goddard later on. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. I got I got a burn Kyle Pitts owner. I think that was a little, you know, I was. Yeah. You didn't have a fair argument okay. going in. I will admit okay. that. <laughs> All to right. be fair, all right. all right. I shot myself in the foot on our Justin Herbert argument last week by saying he's never missed a game in his career. So yeah, I'm glad that karma swung back around in my favor for a second. I uh, just I had you, so uh, many nice little stats thrown in there. It's all right. okay. It's it's all right. I, it's going to be a stats heavy episode. If you if you haven't liked it up until this point, it's only going to get more stats heavy. I'd assume so. Just yeah, buckle just in. get ready for it. It's it's July, guys. We don't have a ton to talk about. We're just nerding out right now on some uh, some fantasy stats. So. Uh, who's the next guy we're talking about, Cody? You're going to be in the Jorge here, Kittle. So you can go ahead and juice him. Yep, <laughs> so let's do it. All right. Jorge so, Kittle. Cody, you've got him three. I've got him seven. Yep. Just wanted to throw that out there to begin with. His ADP overall is four right now at the tight end position, going uh, about a round ahead of Kyle Pitts. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and talk about Jorge Kittle here. Uh, points per game and half PPR. Let's go over his finishes the last four seasons. Uh, tight end two. Tight end four, tight end three, tight end one. So it seems like his floor over his career in points per game is the tight end four, which is where he's getting drafted with a ceiling of tight end one. Now let's get into last season and when Brock Purdy took over, because if you guys didn't see the news, we maybe didn't throw this in there, Brock Purdy looks like he's going to be good to go. He is going Thank to be you. the 49ers starter. So um, unless there's any, some kind of issue during camp with his elbow, he is going to be there for week one. And since after he took over, week 14 was their first game against Tampa Bay. They blew him out 35-7, very run-heavy in the second half. Kittle finishes the tight end 15. Nothing really to run home about there. But after that, week 15, week 16, week 17, and week 18 was tight end 1, tight end 2, tight end 12, tight end 2. So with Brock Purdy, he has a floor of tight end 15 and a ceiling of tight end 1. So again, betting on a lot of upside there. And so this is going to be kind of my final point when it comes to George Kittle and why I have him ranked so high. When I'm drafting the tight end, and this 
I want to make this argument very clear because my philosophy is going to change after this argument because I think George Kittle is in that really top tier of tight ends. And when I'm drafting that top tier of tight ends, I want to get a guy who can be a difference maker for me week in and week out. So I went back and I did some research over the last two seasons because I didn't want to include his 2019 year where he really just ran through the NFL. He finished the tight end one a bunch of times. But I wanted to go back and look at you know, 15 points and half PPR to me is when you look at the tight end position and that's like a, he's winning me the week or you're looking at your opponent and you're like, damn, I'm losing this week because of the tight end. And George okay. Kittle is actually second in the NFL in 15 or 15 points or more when you take his total points that it, or total games. He has that many points divided by the games played at 33 percent. He's tied with Mark Andrews. They're both Ooh. just behind Travis Kelsey. So if I'm drafting a guy that I want to take a positional advantage with, I got to take that shot at George Kittle. Nick, I'm interested to hear your rebuttal. I know you got some more stats coming back my way, so let's hear it. I like that one a lot, Cody. That was good. You had to actually do some digging there. So much props, much props. I like that. I think Kittle can be a difference maker. He's obviously a very good player, but I have some concerns about the offense here, and I think the Brock Purdy section of the season that everybody's so in love with may have been a little bit overblown. So George Kittle in 67 games since his rookie year. Uh, basically, all of these stats I'm going to give you are discarding his rookie year because I didn't think it was uh, not fair to include it. George Kittle's very traditional in-line tight end. Those guys very routinely struggle their rookie year as they're trying to learn to be a pass catcher and they're trying to learn to be a blocker on the line. Uh, so he, he didn't have a great rookie year, but I just wanted to throw it out. 29 touchdowns in 67 games since his rookie year. He had 11 in 15 games last season. His highest in a single season before this was six. So uh, he had 5.25 targets in eight games with Brock Purdy. I included the first two playoff games, the six games he played with him in the regular season, and then I threw out the Eagles game, obviously, because Purdy left immediately. 55.9 yards per game. His career yards per game after his rookie season uh, in total, actually including last year as well, was 70.7. So the yards weren't quite there. Brock Purdy, I think, more of a game manager, not probably to be expected. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo could maybe be considered the same way, but Kittle – kind of on the back end of his prime. So, you know, that could be a factor as well here. He scored seven touchdowns in weeks 15 through 18. We have a large sample size that says this is pretty unlikely to continue. Uh, if you take those seven touchdowns in those four games out, you're looking at a guy that scored 22 in 63 games, all under Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator. Uh, obviously the head coach, but, you know, basically the offensive coordinator in San Francisco. Kittle also had his second lowest yards per target and second lowest ADOT last year, which suggests, again, maybe a slight reduction in his overall athleticism, high-end talent. He's going to turn 30 during this year. That's not too old for a tight end. Those guys can typically excel into their early 30s. But again, he is not going to be getting better as a player, in my opinion. I think he has reached his peak and is probably on the, you know, the back end of his peak right now on the downhill, if anything. Still a great player, but in a crowded offense with a heavy reliant on TDs, and he's never been much of a TD producer in his career. I think you're basically betting on one or two of these other options in San Francisco getting injured and him becoming a more featured part of the offense. I think you're going to have a lot of games where you know he catches three balls for 40 yards, San Francisco goes up two scores in the first half, and then they run the clock down with Mitchell and McCaffrey. Uh, there's just a lot of mouths to feed here. And I think Kittle's going to give you some dud weeks. He'll have some big plays because that's his, you know, that's sort of his MO. Maybe you're hoping that Purdy just loves to look for him in the red zone. But again, this is not somebody that's ever scored more than six touchdowns in a full season beyond last year. So I have my concerns. I don't see a ton of upside here. And I see, 
you know, a tight end seven or eight floor, maybe even lower than that. If, uh, you know, all of these options stay healthy all year, which is somewhat unlikely, but, uh, did happen for the last six weeks of the year. So, uh, that is my concern with George Kittle. All right. I'll do a quick rebuttal real quick. If you don't mind, Eric, um, I do want to say that I just want to, uh, Oh, there we go. I want to just remind everyone that Nick did state, you know, his concerns about the, uh, a lot of weapons on the 49ers offense that that argument may get turned against him when we talk a little bit later. So I just wanted to reiterate that one. And then, uh, oh, and, and, in all honesty, like I said, my, my big argument, I kind of blew, uh, blew my biggest argument before it's basically if i'm drafting a tight end at that position inside the top you know four-ish rounds four or five maybe you get them on the four or five turn it's going to have to be a difference maker for me and even when i'm looking at the guys who you consider around there tj hawkinson kyle pitts i'm not going to blow the guy blow the name of the guy we're about to talk about but even him it's just george kittle has that ability to win you a week there the other guys just you know Goddard and Pitts are at eleven percent of weeks where they score over fifteen points, you know, in a half PPR game. Uh, TJ Hawkinson's only at fourteen percent over the last two years. So if I'm drafting a tight end that early, it's just gotta be someone that can win me a week. I can't I can't settle with those, you know, eight, nine points every single week and just, you know, losing by two or three. I will uh, cede my rebuttal and go ahead and let Eric make his ruling. Am I going to get a drum roll? Where's our drop, producer Cody? Come on. There we go. I'm the talent. I'm going to go with Nick here. Like I said, I think I'd take Goddard over Pitts at this point. And I think I'd probably have him ranked higher than seven, but I don't don't think I'd reach into the top four rounds for Kittle. Yeet. Love to see it. All right. Back to three, uh, three apiece for me and Cody so far through the quarterbacks and the first two tight ends. We have uh, somewhat spoiled this third name on our list, but uh, we're going to go ahead and I talk about him I bet you can guess anyway. who's going to win. <laughs> That's Dallas Goddard. I have a good Let's feeling, unless I completely blow my argument here, I think I might be able to win this one. Uh, okay, so Dallas Goddard. I have him at four. Cody has him at six. Again, not a huge difference here, but his ADP is at six, and his overall is at 72.5. That is basically right next to Kyle Pitts. So uh, I think Cody is more with the consensus here, and I am pretty high on him. So I think that's sort of why I wanted to include him in this show. But all right, so a couple points on Dallas Goddard. Over his last two seasons, and I'm using his last two seasons because Zach Ertz was in the fold up until midway through uh, the season before that basically. So his last two seasons as the bona fide tight end one in this offense, also with Jalen Hurts as his quarterback, I think that helps uh, to uh, not muddy the sample size here. He has been at 10.9 yards per target and 10.2 yards per target. I won't get into it too much, but I'll just say those are elite numbers. Basically in the NFL, uh, you're usually looking at in between seven and eight is average for somebody. So 10.2 and 10.9, especially for a tight end, somebody that does not generally run downfield routes those are absolutely elite numbers when he gets the ball thrown to him he produces uh he was tight end five in points per game in 2022 last year tight end nine in 2021 in 2022 he was at 9.5 in 2021 is 9.1 so we're talking about a very small difference basically this is my point with jalen hurts in the fold uh he has a pretty high floor you're looking at a guy that's going to finish from five to ten uh, depending on how the tight end market shakes itself out, 2021 was a little better tight end market, so he fell to nine. 
2022 was a little more barren, so he was up at five. But basically, you're looking at a guy that's going to be right underneath 10 points per game uh, if all of these options ahead of him stay healthy. But that's where that's where the uh, the the possible unlocking of Kyle of uh, Dallas Goddard could come here. He has been the third target in this offense. It's been well renowned. Uh, last year, he missed a month with uh, a shoulder injury towards the end of the year. That is when Devontae Smith really took off, and A.J. Brown obviously was having a great year to that point anyway, but Devontae Smith really took off. If we were to see one of those two guys go down, I think Dallas Goddard could be a league winner. That's one of the reasons that I absolutely love him. I just think the talent is absolutely there. This is not a guy that's relied on touchdowns either. He has scored seven touchdowns in his last two years combined, four in 2021, three in 2022, uh, in the total of 27 games, so not not the full 34, but, but still quite a large sample size of not much touchdown luck, and he's still producing solid tight end numbers, if not completely spectacular. I just think he shows great rate stats. He has a solid floor in both years with uh, you know being the sole tight end target for Jalen Hurts, and that's without high, t- high touchdown totals. We could see an outlier touchdown year, or we could see an extended absence from A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith that would really, really vault him up the board. If he were to get seven, eight, nine, ten targets a week, I think this could be – this is Mark Andrews. I think he is, he is up there with the most talented tight ends in the league. He just doesn't have quite the same level of opportunity if he was to get it. Uh, he, he could he could win your league legitimately. I, I love Dallas Goddard as a player. Uh, that's that's fair. Again, I have him at number six, so I'm not like that far below. I'm not calling him a bust, similar to Kyle Pitts. Uh, but I mean, if you're gonna win an argument over an injury, then I mean, I could have just said Debo Samuel or CMC both have injury risk because they both been injured a good amount. So. I mean, I'm not going into my fantasy draft, drafting my tight end, going, yeah, I got a league winner once Devontae Smith slips an ACL. So I, I want to start my argument off with that. Um, again, same, injury, same, argu- two, but fair enough. same argument you have in Philadelphia. You got two wide receivers that are going to be touching the football. You got more running backs than you know what to do with that are going to be involved. Uh, Jalen Hurts runs the football plenty, scores on plenty of quarterback runs. So, again, you know, I don't really have a lot to say against Dallas Goddard. I mean, if I wanted one of the probably top six tight ends, then yeah, he would be the guy that would be the last one off the board. And I would probably be more likely to draft him just because he's a little later and I don't have to burn a third or a fourth round pick. Uh, But for me, the reason why I just have him ranked lower is I think, like Nick said, Devontae Smith, I mean, he is the number two target on the team. I think he may be just a bit, every bit as talented as A.J. Brown, just not the same size. I mean, you may have two true wide receiver ones like you're seeing in Cincinnati, which just makes that third option a little bit more questionable. And, again, I'm not going to sit here and argue and be like, Dallas Goddard's not that guy because if something does happen and he there's an injury and he is their number two option, yeah, he's probably going to be pretty freaking good. But – I'm going to go into my draft. I'm not going to draft Dallas Goddard with the hope of someone getting hurt. I'm probably, I guess if it's just, I'm losing this argument anyway, but I guess if I got to the point of drafting Goddard or waiting two more rounds and getting the next guy we're going to talk about, I'm just going to wait based on my, my research. So I don't really have much of an argument. I mean, it's pretty clear which way Eric's way in here. So we can go ahead and drum roll it here. I'll let me just, uh, okay, fair enough. Let's just end it. Nick wins. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
But like again, you guys are pretty close here. This is almost personal. I'm just curious what what research what research Eric has done that uh, has Dallas Goddard so high in his rankings. I mean, you're listening to it, didn't you? Hear everything Nick said? Oh yeah, (laughs) Eric sent me all that research. Twist, uh, yeah, twist of the exactly. All right, give us your mid round tight end that you are high on, Cody. Uh, I guess more more I guess more late round tight end. Later. Either yeah. way, go ahead. Now, Dallas Goddard's the last guy that's getting drafted in the mid-rounds, and then it falls down to this yeah, guy going around it. And Joku and Pat Fryer, and that's Evan Ingram. Uh, for me, after we get past the top five, I mean, Dallas Goddard, if you want to say top six, you know, I just have a few more question marks with a lot of these guys. So, uh, for me, when it comes to Evan Ingram, I just think that he has an upside unlike anyone else you're really drafting in this area. I think David and Joku is another guy in the same field you can kind of – put in that category, which is why I have him ranked right below him. Um, but he just you know, showed a lot at the end of last season. Obviously, we have Calvin Ridley coming back, so that's probably going to be the biggest argument against Evan Ingram is you have a target hog coming in. But I just want to point out that um, you know, while Doug Peterson was in Philadelphia uh, over the course of 2016 through 2020, his tight ends averaged 10, 11.8, 18.5, 19.1, and 13.9 half PPR fantasy points per game. Obviously, those last three did include two guys. Yes. And that does include two guys. You have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard in there, but his tight end room produced that many points. There's really not a tight end two like a Dallas Goddard, obviously, for Jacksonville, so you don't really assume there's going to be a guy taking that many points away. Um, And for me, I mean, he finished with the tight end seven last year. I know it was a low season for tight ends, but it's literally just eight to nine points per game gets you at the tight end seven. I think that's his floor. I think he has a potential upside of higher if he really gets himself involved in this Doug Peterson offense. He has a long-term deal. He's going to be there for the next couple of years. I just think if you are, if you don't want to waste a pick, or not waste, but if you don't want to use a pick on one of the top six and you want to build your team until the eighth, ninth, tenth round, I think Evan Ingram is the next tight end off the board I would snag. I don't mind it. Uh, I don't mind having Ingram as a player. Uh, before I jump into my side of the argument, I can't remember if we gave our rankings on him. Cody, you have him at 7. I have him at 11. ADP is at 8. Overall, 93.7, so about two rounds behind Goddard and Pitts. That's uh, probably like the 7th, 8th round, like you said. Uh, so not too much investment uh, as far as capital goes here. Uh, but in general, I think in my opinion, uh, for these, these guys, I'm either drafting one of these guys I really like uh, you know, in round five or six or Kelsey early or Andrews early, or I'm waiting till the end. So Ingram kind of falls into that group of guys that I'm just not really too excited about. I want a guy that can conceivably jump into the, you know, top three in tight ends and really make a difference in your league. I don't really see that for Evan Ingram. Talk about a guy that has a lot of target competition with Callan really coming into the fold. He can, He's probably the, the third, maybe the fourth target. He could conceivably be the fifth target if Travis Etienne takes his jump uh, as a receiver. But beyond with Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, and Evan Ingram, there's a ton of mouths to feed in this offense. I think your Doug Peterson point is probably the strongest point that Evan Ingram has in his corner. We're really going to find out if Doug Peterson's offense – is running through tight ends or if it's just been a product of Evan Ingram, you know, being the third best option last year and the fact that he had Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard for a large stretch of, uh, you know, the years you were talking about in Philadelphia. Uh, so it was more personnel than it was plays. Uh, we'll see. Because uh, if, if, if Evan Ingram is still a focal point, then it's obviously just a part of his offense. Evan Ingram's highest finish in points per game was tight end four. That was as a rookie in 2017, quite a while ago. 
I do want to point out it was also only 9.4 points per game. So a pretty down year for tight ends as a whole. Again, I think that just that drives home that I just don't see a ton of upside here. I think you're looking at tight end 7 or tight end 8 as his ceiling. And I am not drafting those type of guys with any sort of capital, even sound, even round seven or eight. I'd rather wait until, you know, round 11, round 12, grab me a Greg Dulcich, grab me a, uh, a guy we're going to talk about in a minute, won't spoil. But there are some later round tight ends, I think, that you can replicate that production out of uh, just streaming. Uh, so that's why I would avoid Evan Ingram in round seven, round eight. Fair enough. I don't really have much of a rebuttal. Eric, drum roll. I'm going to go with Cody here. I also do like Evan Ingram a lot. I like Doug Peterson. I think that uh, I thought he showed pretty good chemistry with Trevor Lawrence at the end of last year, too. So rigged, is it? Are you sure? I didn't say anything. That's your words, not mine. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right, we're going to get into the tiebreaker here at the end of the show. I think this is actually a pretty polarizing guy from a fantasy perspective, so I'm glad we are talking about him here. Eric did not know who this was before the show. Yeah, I was going to say, I asked who the fuck is that when we were going to a pre-show. I'm hoping you have been doing some research on him while we've been doing the pod, but that is Dalton Kincaid of the Buffalo Bills. He is a rookie tight end. He was drafted with the 26th overall pick out of Utah uh, this past offseason. So uh, I am at 12, Cody's at 14, ADP's at 16, so we're both a little higher than uh, on him than consensus. Again, not a huge disagreement here. Cody and I were pretty lockstep with a lot of these tight ends, uh, so there wasn't much to go off of as far as huge disagreements. But I, again, this is a guy that I just really wanted to talk about, so I'm glad we're including him here. Dalton Kincaid, he is fighting a uphill battle, I will not lie. The history of rookie tight ends is not great. I gave you that stat earlier about Evan Ingram finishing a tight end four. He and Kyle Pitts are basically the only recent examples that we have of rookie tight ends succeeding at all. Greg Dulcich did it in small stretches last year, but I think that's really all you can look at from a rookie tight end perspective. It is very tough for these guys uh, coming into the league. There's a lot to learn, more so than there are for receivers and running backs uh in their first year they they generally struggle the one thing dalton kincaid does have going in his favor though is he will most likely not be asked to line up in line very often at utah he lined up in the slot on 55.1 percent of their passing plays and he had 77.2 percent of his receiving yards from the slot so we are basically looking at a glorified slot receiver he will be lining up in line i would i would guess about 30 percent of the time uh, so this is not a, this is basically just a another slot target for Josh Allen, something that's actually been a very productive position for Buffalo. It's just been split up between a lot of different guys throughout the last couple of years. So if we could get you know a Cole Beasley type of season from Dalton Kincaid with probably a lot more talent, I think that would be a very very valuable thing, especially where he's being drafted right now. I think the other thing you have going for you here is that it should become very quickly apparent how Buffalo is planning to use Kincaid this year. If we get to week three and he's a part-time player, Dawson Knox is playing over him. He's playing in line a lot. He's not playing out in the slot. He's only got two or three targets a game. You're going to be able to cut bait and stream the position. Uh, this is not a guy you're investing a ton of capital in, so you are not going to be you know, holding out hope for this guy throughout the whole season. It should be pretty quick 
you know, you should know how Buffalo is going to be using him pretty quickly, which will be a big indicator if he's going to be successful or not early on. And it's unlikely, but if he's playing a big role out of the gate, he could smash. Diggs is the unquestioned one here, but there's not a definitive number two in Buffalo. There hasn't been for a few years. Gabe Davis has his role. He's going to be the deep threat, but I don't think there's room for him to move into the 120 target range. I think Dalton Kincaid could conceivably be the number two target on one of the best offenses in the NFL. Getting him as late as you're getting him, I'll take that all day long. Yeah, I... I don't really have much of an argument against Alton Kincaid. I mean, Nick basically pointed out all the rookie rookie tight end things. Um, one one argument I'd have against him lining up a bunch in the slot is it makes zero sense for him to come out as a tight end if he can just play slot wide receiver. Uh, he's going to get paid a lot less if he's an elite tight end versus if he's an elite slot wide receiver. So, I, I mean, and again, that's just nitpicking an argument because I don't really have much of an argument to stand on. Um, in our 45 days of mock drafts, I mean, Dalton Kincaid is going a, right around guys like Cole Komet and Greg Dulcich. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm drafting Dalton Kincaid every single time over those guys also. Um, similar to what Nick said, I mean, you should be able to know right away if, if you feel like you can trust him or not or if you just got to drop him and, and start streaming the position. Um, I guess my only argument against it is – just look at the history of rookie tight ends. Kyle Pitts has the second best rookie tight end season of all time and just did not pan out for fantasy whatsoever. Granted, he only had one touchdown, which really, really hurts. But, um, you know, you just look at the history. It's it, The history is going to tell you it's not going to pan out. But I'm also going to tell you if you can get Josh Allen's second receiving option with your second-to-last pick in your draft – yeah, I, there's no reason not to take that shot, especially if you you pass on the Ingram and Njoku and Fryermuth tier, and you're just completely sold on just either uh, uh, picking up tight end streaming. Thank you, or you know, go Dalton Kincaid and hope he can break out and be something. Do I think it's going to happen? And do I think it's going to happen early? No, I imagine it's probably going to take a little bit for him to get involved, like we see most rookies. And especially rookie tight ends, but if you're gonna, tell, if I'm not gonna make an argument to draft Cole Komet over <laughs> over Dalton Kincaid. That's not the podcast you're listening to here. Yeah, I think that's the the overarching point here is that if you're this late in the tight end position, you might as well take the home run swing, and then you can always fall back on the Cole Komets of the world, the Tyler Higbees, the Dalton Schultz. You're gonna be able to pick up one of those type of guys. You're gonna be able to play the matchups. And, um, you know, there is a maybe a, what, a 20% chance Dalton Kincaid turns out to be a top five tight end this year. And if you hit, you have, uh, you know, you might have found yourself a league winner late in your draft. If not, you're going to move on to streaming the position, which is what you were going to do anyway if you're waiting this long on tight end. Yeah. And if you're going to use that 20% for Dalton Kincaid, all the other tight ends going around him are probably 2%. So if you, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I don't want to try and make too much of an argument and just harp on rookie tight end stuff because I can't, like, as a guy who punted on tight end in a lot of drafts last year, like, Cole Komet, he sucks. Like, he's not, he's not that great of a fantasy tight end. Let's be real. Dude, like, he's he went not to, like, promising he was with my friend's roster. neighbors, and when the Bears drafted him, my friend was like, he's going to be terrible. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no faith at all. As soon as he got drafted, he's like, kid's soft, isn't going to work. I'm just like, oh, used to, damn. Used to lock right. him up in the neighborhood. Dude's fucking trash. Damn, that is that is tough. No, but that's just yeah. Uh, like I mean, I would much rather like even if I'm like looking at the roster I'm playing against, if they have Cole Komet, I'm like okay, there's a three percent chance he gets a touchdown and has fifty yards this week. 
Whereas, like, if Dalton Kincaid even going into week one, I would be like, I'm going to watch the Bills because I just want to know how they're going to use this guy. It's going to be interesting. So, I, yeah, if you're Eric, completely. I almost feel bad having him give a ruling here because I was going to say, I feel like you guys agree me. on him. Yeah. So, I, I'm just glad we talked about him. Again, I think this is the guy that I'm glad you talked about him. I had no idea who he was. Take your shot on Dalton Kincaid instead of, like you said, Cole Komet. Tyler Higby, those other guys in that range, and you can always fall back on him if he is just a part-time player, which is, again, probably the most likely outcome. But yeah. uh, there is that small chance that he pops and you know could be a really, really valuable pick late in your draft. Cole Komet or Taysom Hill week one? <laughs> I'd have to see who they're playing. I think, let's see, I, let's see who do the Saints play, because I know you guys uh, the, Bears, the Packers. Bears play the Packers. If the Saints play a crappy team, I think I might go Taysom Hill just for the touchdown <laughs> chance. But, uh, oh, my God. How can I not? Hey, but we're forgetting about the other tight end in Chicago. What about big Rob Tanyan against the Packers, the revenge game? Oh, see, I think I'd bet on Rob Tanyan yeah. to score against that the Packers. That may be a problem for Colgan. That's who I would say. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tennessee Titans. Oh, they're a good run defense. I'd probably go Cole Komet. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, I'd. Again, I think that's the the level of tight end we're talking about here. So it's not necessarily a. Uh, you take Taysom Hill for the off chance that he ends up a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the two percent for Taysom Hill. That, that's where that's where his top five tight end season comes from. All, All right, right, guys. Uh, Let's do we have anything else to talk about here? Nope. I, I assume when we get into our uh, our other episode, we'll get into Darren Waller because we both have him lower than consensus, and uh, I think he's yeah. an interesting topic. But we'll wait on him since we're already an hour in. Uh, but yeah. no, like, comment, Let's subscribe, see. all the good stuff. Share the podcast. Share with friends, enemies, anybody you want to. Appreciate you. Uh, like, comment, check out the YouTube, check out the mock drafts. Peace out, everybody. Peace. Where do you guys have Waller ranked?